All right, welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I am your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. We have a special edition for you guys because Matt is actually in town from Vegas, so we get to record together, I think for the first time since we did our initial pilot podcast. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome, Matt. How's it feel to be back in Wisconsin? It's good. We disc today. That was nice. You won one. I won one. Your shoulder was definitely sore after the second round. Um, but we also haven't podcasted in a while. So, you know, we're going to kind of give you guys a full breakdown of all minor league this episode. Uh, your season, my season did not end the way we wanted it to in either league. Currently, I am still in the playoffs, but I am uh, 0-9 in category rankings this week. So looks like my season will be ending. I'm kind of happy about that. Uh, looking forward to next year. And we've done a lot of research on some of these guys, and we're kind of going to just read off some stat lines for you today as well. Kind of highlight some guys that we like. Um, we'll probably have more of a detail-oriented structure for this offseason, but we have a lot to catch you up on. Yeah, and for my categories league, I suffered a tough defeat. I play in 6x6, uh, six six, and in the first round, I actually tied 6x6, six six, and because I had the lower seed, I got knocked out. And it came down to Jeffrey Springs going 5 and 2 thirds and not qualifying for a quality start was the deciding factor. Had he qualified, I would have won the category and won 6-5-1 rather than 6-6. Six and six. So that was uh, utter heartbreak for me. Um, but yeah, as you alluded to, we'll go through uh, some of the top 50, maybe top 60 uh, prospects on the MLB Top 100 list. Pick out a, a guys every five, one or two that we like, um, highlight them, touch on them, what we think of them, when they're going to be expected, and kind of what they did this season. And then, Matt, you put together a list of the league leaders from the hitting standpoint from each level. So we'll touch on those guys, and then we'll finish up the show with some pitching performances, outlooks on some of the the newly risen pitchers that just reached the majors this year or this was their rookie season what we expect from them next year and moving into it. So let's just jump right into it. And the top 100 list, um, some of these guys have already hit the majors. So leading the list on MLB is Francisco Alvarez, catcher for the New York Mets. Gunnar Henderson, shortstop for the Orioles, who recently came up. Corbin Carroll, your boy, outfielder for the Diamondbacks. He also came up. Grayson Rodriguez, who we've mentioned before, has been shut down for the season, but a name to watch next year. And then rounding out uh, the top five is Anthony Volpe, shortstop for the New York Yankees. So Matt, pick one or two of these guys and what you expect and what you like about them. Yeah, I'm actually going to kind of combine Corbin Carroll and uh, and Henderson here as kind of a combo. Um, We'll talk about Volpe in a minute, but both... Henderson and Carroll have come up and kind of produced at the level that we expected them to. Both are hitting around the 280-290 mark. I've shown a little bit of power. They both play in 22 games. Uh, contact bats. I think everything said after the fact, when you look at them kind of getting a fresh shot at the end of the season, they are what we expected, and they're really excited coming into next year. Uh, strikeouts, they both are kind of at about a strikeout a game, a little bit lower than that. Um, I think you're going to see that power production from Henderson next year and Carroll. Obviously, is going to be a contact first. You're looking at that 2020 approach, hopefully, for 2023. So very excited about those guys. Those guys, if they go into redrafts next year, uh, 2023 drafts, I would expect kind of for those to be the hot rookies right off the bat. They're going to be guys that are going to perform out of the gate, and we've seen it now, production. 
Um, Anthony Volpe, though, is the next one I want to talk about. After kind of going through the numbers and really digging in, really disappointing season. If you look at the 2021 season, he had a uh, over a 1,000 OPS this season in two levels. He had a 795 combined OPS. His average was a below 250 at a 248. Uh, power has been there a little bit this season, but definitely a different player than what we saw last year. He also had 27 home runs last year, 20 this year. Strikeouts were up a tick, did play in a few more games. Uh, but actually, if I were to combine my own uh, prospect rankings this year, I think I would drop him outside of my top 50. If he was in my dynasty team, I think I would be dropping him. Um, and that's that's unfortunate. You know, he had a strong showing last year, hit, hitting two, uh, 94 in that OPS. Things have just changed drastically for him. And I'm wondering if it's possibly a mechanical issue or if what we saw was him dominating lower levels. And this is just who he's going to be. And unfortunately for him, those are Glaber Torres numbers. And Glaber Torres is on and off waiver wires. So I think Anthony Volpe's time in New York might be delayed a little bit until he can really get things figured out. And before we move on to the next six or ten, there's two things I want to mention on the Corbin Carroll and Anthony Volpe. Corbin Carroll, we've talked off the air. This is a guy who you mentioned hit first, and this is somebody who we like to have on our rosters because if you can hit, at least in a categories or even points leagues, points specifically, if you're hitting double singles, getting those runs RBIs, you're getting three to four points consistently, and you can bank on them getting 20 to 30 points rather than somebody who's a power hitter and striking out a ton. Maybe they hit five home runs in a week, and then they go cold for a whole month, and that's a lot of variance that you can't afford when it comes to playoff time. So having somebody like that is huge. Another person that we've talked about, Michael Harris, um, is a, yeah. a perfect example of that. Um, and then just touching on Anthony Volpe, a good example is with these minor leagues, there's so much variance when they go up through the, the from single A to double A to triple A. And you have to re- remind yourself that they are going to start seeing more curveballs and off-speed pitches and pitchers that can locate their pitches on the corners and find out, okay, this guy can't hit a high and inside, so that's where I'm going to hit him rather than these younger pitchers that just throw it and hope that they get it down um, the strike zone. And we saw an example of this um, specifically with Marco Luciano and Novi Marte. They struggled when they got to the higher levels, and they have dropped significantly down the prospect ranks. Uh, Marco Luciano is not even in the top 10. He was up there for the last year or two, I want to say. So just keep in mind that just because you make it to the top 10 doesn't mean you always stand there. I got another example of that is, uh, who was it, Nick Solak a few years ago? Um, is that the right guy I'm thinking of? I mean, there's uh, been a, a lot range, of – Ian Happ was that way too, though. But he hit all the way through the minor leagues, and he gets to the major leagues. He was a, he was a contact first hitter with power. He gets to the major leagues, and he's a 250 hitter, uh, 220 hitter for a long time, which was concerning. And I, I'll jump in here too. When you look at Volpe last year, he was an A and high A. This year they jumped him up to double A. He immediately hit 251 in double A, going to triple A, hit 230. At high A, he was hitting 286 at 20 years old. If you look at Jackson Cheerio, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit, dominated A and high A, and he's 18 years old. So maybe this was just an approach thing, like you said, and as soon as that off-speed pitches came in, curveballs, sliders, he drastically changed his approach. Um, But but this is the concern, right? Like you roster these guys, if you're coming out of last year and he's hitting well in high A, you know, our friend Reed has him in the Dynasty League. You're thinking, oh, I got the next guy. 
I mean it when I say I'm looking to either move him or drop him because 230 in AAA, even though it was only 17 games, means he's going to have to stick there for a large portion next year. Yeah, I, I, I'll disagree with you on that point. He is still young, and you do need to adjust. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time is you can come out guns blazing and then pitchers adjust, and now it's your turn to adjust to them. I think he's at that level where pitchers have adjusted to him, at least in the minor leagues, and now next year is the time to see if he can readjust. If he struggles next year at Triple A, um, then maybe I'll jump on board. But I'm not ready to write him off. Let's move along now to six through ten. So we have Jordan Walker, third base for the St. Louis Cardinals, Marcelo Meyer, shortstop for the Red Sox, Diego Cartaya for the Dodgers, number nine Yuri Perez for the Miami Marlins. And then we just mentioned it earlier, number 10 is Jackson Churio, outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers. So, Matt, who are some guys that stick out to you and who do you want to talk about? Well, Jordan Walker's move to the outfield was something that I feel like is really going to impact Dynasty League, especially Dynasty owners. You rostered this individual with the expectation that hopefully you'd have a third base prospect standout. He is now being moved into the outfield. He's a power hitter. Does have good contact skills for a power hitter. I think he's a guy similar to Jordan Alvarez who... While hitting home runs, will still be able to hit for a good average. I'm not sure that he will mirror Alvarez. He did hit 306 in Double A this season, uh, strikeouts 116 in 119 games, so still about a strikeout per uh, per game. Meyer, we're going to talk about a lot of shortstops tonight. Uh, Meyer is going to be classified right in that upper echelon tier. Him and Jordan Lauer are pretty fantastic, and I personally think they are in a class above everyone else. Uh, what I've seen from Meyer so far is a very, very good, strong, natural left-handed power swing with good contact ability. I think this could be just an overall pop, great hitter, hit 280, 290, hit 20, 25 home runs, maybe develop into a guy later in his years where he moves off short because he is a little bit taller, uh, possibly could hit you 30 to 35 home runs in his prime. Um, and then I want to talk about Yuri Perez, so you can probably cover Jackson Churio. Um, Yuri Perez had a great year, but I think a little bit overhyped. He is young. Uh, that was kind of the, the big takeaway from his uh, early season success was how old he was being in AA. His AA ERA, though, is 408, 17 games pitched, did have 75 innings, uh, three less innings so far this season than last year, but they're kind of keeping him at that same path since he does have a young arm. Uh, 106 strikeouts in those 75 innings, so he showed his plus K ability. Uh, like him, but I want to see what he does next year. I think he was able to come into AA you know, as a young individual and Play very, very well. Uh, fastball's still there. Obviously, we're concerned about injuries being so young, but that 6-8 frame should allow him to create leverage at an easier level than other pitchers. Yeah, moving on to Jackson Churio, he was a guy that rose through the rankings. Wasn't even a top 100. Wasn't even really a top 200, I want to say, on most prospect um, lists, but he rose through the ranks, started blistering hot, uh, it was being compared with guys like Tatis, Harper, Trout, Vlad to start the season. Amazing. And then he got to the higher levels, batted 252 in high A. Um, it did show that he went to double A at the end of the season. I read some articles regarding this. A lot of it has to do with he dealt with, I can't remember, it was either elbow or wrist surgery or injury, which is never a good sign. Um, but when he came back, he kind of cooled off. They moved him to double-A because the single-A season ended, but they wanted to get him more at-bats, and the double-A team was moving on. I think they made the playoffs. Um, 
nevertheless, he played six games for them, batted 0.87, which is not good. I think he got rushed a little bit to double A just to get some extra at-bats. I fully expect him to be at high A to start the season next year. I'm concerned to see if this injury is going to be a leg or a nagging thing for him or if he can rehab uh, in the offseason. So just something to note there. Uh, we'll see if he comes out blistering hot there. I, I fully expect him to stay above the on the high on the prospect list. Let's move on now. It was an elbow, so was we, elbow. we've avoided the, the wrists. I think we were just Scare. actually talking about Wander Franco um, being picked up in the Dynasty League by you. I'm just scared of wrists these days. And I actually wasn't. For the years, since Ricky Weeks' injury, I have not been too worried about a wrist. But it's funny, Alex Kurloff, I think, was the most recent one to yeah. incur that wrist injury. And I don't know that Kurloff will ever be the same. Uh, obviously, we hope Wander, you know, speedy recovery and hopefully the success he's had over the last couple of weeks continues into next year. But good to know for Cheerio that it, it was just an elbow. I do feel like with Alex Kirloff, they've rushed him back each time he hurt his wrist. And Wander Franco, I feel like, has been out a very long time. And I think they wanted to make sure he was right so they didn't do the same thing with him. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, he, he left two rehab assignments because he flat out said my wrist isn't right. Came back to the majors Kirloff now. Or Franco? Franco did. Um, one of the big reasons I dropped him. You know, he had there were two different assignments where they sent him out and came back and said, I'm not ready. Sat out a couple days, came back, wasn't ready. They sent him to a specialist again. Specialist said, you know, your wrist is sound. It's just sore because it hasn't been used in a while. Um, but I, I do, I think, I think a lot like some of the ACLs in football that we're seeing, I think you can fuck up a wrist surgery. I think flat out sometimes once it's broken, there there is no going back. And mm-hmm. it's just that's how weeks was. I think it's just the luck of the draw. I think Kurloff probably falls in the same line weeks did, and I think Franco would be okay. Otherwise he wouldn't be on a five game hitting streak. Yeah, we'll see. Time will tell. Let's move on now to eleven through fifteen. And we got two Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm liking what I'm seeing from the Diamondbacks. We talked about Corbin Carroll earlier. I'm excited to see what their team looks like in twenty twenty four maybe 2025, and it'll be a fun team to watch. But we got Drew Jones, outfielder, number one overall pick of the 2022, wow, I butchered that, MLB draft, followed by number 12, Jordan Lauer, shortstop. And then we move on to the Baltimore Orioles, Jackson Holiday, the number two overall pick of this year's draft, followed by Ellie De La Cruz, shortstop for the Reds. And then we round it out with number 15, Daniel Espino, starting pitcher for the Cleveland Guardians. So, Matt, I want to talk at least about one of these Diamondbacks, and then you choose another guy. Uh, I'm going to talk about Jordan Lauer. If you want to hit on him a little bit, go for it. I liked him even before you grabbed him in our Dynasty League. Uh, Lauer just shows very natural power. I think, honestly, him and Meyer are showing power from that shortstop position. That's more natural than I've seen in a very long time, especially for younger guys. They were both drafted out of high school academies. Uh, and this is going to be fun for the Diamondbacks. It, you know, Lauer not only has power, but he's also flashed the ability to hit the ball for average. He hit 303 this season, OPS at 910. You know, you add that with Corbin Carroll, you're going to have guys that are getting on base. I would expect both of them to always be above that 260 mark minimum. You know, hopefully hit 300 for you, kind of in their primes. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Drew Jones is going to join that outfield. I would expect Lauer to be up. You know, maybe they pull some wonky stuff with him and they bring him up end of next year like they did uh, Corbin Carroll, but I would expect the 2024 season. Um, you know, and Jones Jones has the shoulder, but what did you see from Jones before that injury happened and kind of the film from the draft? Yeah, he, he's a big power guy, and I liked him. Um, the only person I thought that had more 
power than him was Elijah Green. So I definitely like that. Obviously, son of Andrew Jones. Um, so I definitely has the discipline, and you know he's going to be involved in the game growing up around it. So I like him a lot. I really just like this Diamondbacks team and the future. They have that outfield with Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, Drew Jones, and then you're going to have Jordan Lauer as their shortstop. Hopefully Ivan Melendez is their power hitter that they got in the draft in the second round um, at first base. So I really like what this team has done. A sleeper, I kind of want to just bring him up because we're on the Diamondbacks, is Davison De Los Santos. I totally butchered that. But third base at double A, he's been on fire, killing it. Um, kind of slowed down once he reached double A, but he had 30 home runs um, over this year and last year. Um, definitely a name to keep an eye out. Um, he's not even in ESPN player pools right now, so uh, keep an eye out for him next year. He's only 19 years old. Um, getting off topic, so let's move back back on to uh, the top 15 here. Um, Ellie De La Cruz, somebody I want to highlight. This is somebody you identified before he rose to the top 15, back when he was at, um, oh, somebody we're talking about later. Let's just talk about him now. Matt just pointed out that uh, he is on our notes for later, but I'm just going to skip his notes, and we're just going to talk about him now. We'll skip him later. Um, Matt, what did you see in him early that made you think that he was going to rise to the ranks and get this high? I mean, it's a prodigious power. He he marvels, you know, a very similar player with the same last name. Uh, I you see it off the bat. The bat speed is incredible. He has the height to create leverage when he when he's going after the pitches. Uh, and his home runs, they they absolutely are moonshots. He had a good average this season. Eladay La Cruz for the Reds, 304, 28 home runs. An OPS, combined OPS at 945. Big concern is the strikeouts. Um, I, I don't want to say that this is going to be a career problem from him because he is so young at 20 years old. He played in 120 games. He had 158 strikeouts. That, to me, is absolutely um, concerning. I was comping him to O'Neill Cruz, obviously, of the Pirates. Same last name. Similar approach to me. The thing that I like about uh, Ellie De La Cruz is the fact that he's so much younger than O'Neill. He's got the opportunity to figure out some of these uh, quirks in his game and his swing, causing the strikeouts before he gets to the majors. And, and the truth is, I mean, they talk about this with O'Neill. He might just be too tall with a bigger strike zone. Well, that will always be a, a problem for him. Um, but definitely a guy I liked. I, I'm looking for guys in the minors right now, like Mitch, Richie had mentioned earlier, like Michael Harris, Corbin Carroll, or the polar opposite where you have absolutely prodigious power because you just can't find those guys. You have such a balanced approach normally. So Ellie De La Cruz, definitely a guy I think we're going to watch over the next couple of years in the minors. And he's just, he's just going to look like he's ready to come up, but right now he's not. And I would say this from just a simple philosophy standpoint. I think we have similarities in some, but then we differ in others. So, like, I particularly like somebody who's got a very high hit tool with at least 60 or 70 grades by MLB or Baseball America. Um, and if they have power, great, I like it, but they have to have something. If they have zero at power where it's 50 or below, I'm not really interested in them um, just because the, uh, the scouts don't see it developing um, unless they're very young. Um, but you tend to like these guys that have a lot of power, they have the tall frames, they have the strikeouts, which is why I stay away from them because I worry that they're going to be the next Joey Gallo. Um, guys like O'Neill Cruz and Ellie De La Cruz, I, I, I fully 
anticipate one of those guys have to hit because you look at Aaron Judge and look at him. He's at 60 home runs as we're podcasting this now, and he had the similar profile coming through the minors. So I do think that they do hit from time to time, but the frequency of when they hit is not as... Um, it's not you know as regular I mean? as the guys like Corbin Carroll, and I and I agree with that. The reason I, I hone in on those guys when you when you look at them is because you can you can figure out how to hit better. Now, do all guys figure out how to build up their hit tool? No. You can lift some weights and you can get a little bit stronger and you can hit a couple more home runs. But at the end of the day, what you cannot do is you cannot grow in in height. Uh, and when you look at O'Neill Cruz and you look at um, Ellie De La Cruz, six five, six seven, six eight for O'Neill. That's what I want to see because that's a tool in itself. It's an ability. Uh, and at 20 years old, my expectation is, yeah, you hit 302 this season. Sure, the strikeouts are a problem, but same thing with O'Neill. When you're hitting the ball, it's an absolute missile. And we've seen that from Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton that, you know, as you get older and you get closer to the major leagues, you can just be a weapon in yourself. Um, LA's hit tools at 55 power at 60 i think i'd actually bring that hit tool down to like 50 that power up to 70 uh the hit tool definitely is increased because of his velocity off the bat uh but again this is a guy that i think especially ballpark that's another big reason i picked him up he plays in cincinnati and they're going to give him all the opportunity in the world because let's be honest outside of a few guys that are good prospects but not great He's the flashiest thing they have outside of Hunter Green. And I think they're going to pair those two together and just ride it out and sell tickets on them. I like it. Let's move along now to 16 through 20. I personally don't like this chunk, but let's go through it. Number 16, Marco Luciano. We briefly touched on him. Number 17, Novi Marte. Same thing. Um, Interesting with Marte. He'll be competing with Ellie De La Cruz, or maybe they'll move one of them off. I fully expect Ellie to go over to third base. Then we have Brett Batty. Uh, made a, a sprinkle with the, the majors for the New York Mets, following up Henry Davis, top draft pick for the Pirates a couple years ago. And then number 20, we have Taj Bradley, starting pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. So, Matt, who are some guys you like in this range? So I'm going to bring up Henry Davis here, who hit 264 this season. Uh, power, only 10 home runs, played in 59 games. He was battling injury throughout the season. Henry Davis, first overall pick as a catcher. Uh, I think, honestly, he's probably going to end up filling in as a Travis Darno role, similar to what the Braves are doing, because Pittsburgh also has another very, very talented catcher, outfield prospect, um, and Andy Rodriguez. And Andy Rodriguez is absolutely dominating the minor leagues in all categories, for catchers at least. He hit 324 this season with a total of 24 home runs. His OPS on the year was 996. His double A OPS in 31 games was 1120. Moved him on over to AAA for four games, hit 533. Started in low A at 88 games, hit 302 with 16 home runs. And in those 31 games in double A, he also hit eight home runs. Uh, this is a young kid. This is a kid that's developing fast in front of our eyes. He's 22 years old. They have him at a 50 hit, a 50 power. I would bump those up. Uh, I think we're going to see a Contreras and Darno situation here. I think Andy is very much so going to be in the mix behind the plate, um, but could also utilize him in the outfield. But I think really at this time, what we're seeing is this is a first overall pick that's going to be a defensive first guy. We have not seen in his minor league numbers yet him come out and actually hit the ball with authority. Um, I, I'm, I'm disappointed in Henry Davis, and this is the risk you take with taking a guy out of, high, out of college 
that was just a so-so top pick. You know, the, he didn't have the Buster Posey. He didn't have the Adley Rutschman. They were saying that on draft day that this was a guy that's going to be a solid big league starter. And I think Andy could really take away from some of his playing time. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I will say I do like Taj Bradley a lot. He kind of broke out this year, made it all the way to AAA. I fully expect him to be in the majors next year. It feels like anytime you're a Tampa Bay Ray pitcher, you're going to deliver. And if you don't, you get traded. Um, That's just how it goes sometimes. Um, Definitely somebody to get if he's still available. Let's move along. He's been so exciting, and his numbers are so elusive, you know, like so dominant. Um, our, Our good friend Jackson has him. He was on the show a couple weeks ago. But you're right, man. The Tampa Bay Rays just scare the absolute hell out of me. You know, I, I just I don't want anything to do with their players, even though he's pitching at an absolute phenom level. I will say this from a philosophy standpoint for me, when I'm looking at these prospect pitchers, yes, they need to have the stuff. And usually if you're a top prospect, you, if you're in the top 100 list, you have some sort of stuff. You at least have one or two good pitches that are going to get you there. But the main thing I like to see is do you have the control can you locate your pitches? What is your walk rate? And let's pull it up here. I'm stalling. But in 127.1 innings, he only threw 32 walks this year. I mean, that look is his, look phenomenal. At his, whip. his whip. 1.04 whip this yeah. year. That is, yeah. I mean, when he makes it, he's going to stay. Like, I have full confidence when he makes the majors, he will be a breakout. And that's why I like George Kirby um, coming out. He doesn't walk anybody. If you look at Kirby... The last time I checked, he didn't walk more than one batter in any of his outings in like the last 10 starts. And just being able to locate your pitches on those corners or high or low, and you you can just get – it just helps so well, much more. We're seeing that with Lance McCullers actually come back from the injury. Uh, took a little deep dive into him just last night. His ERA is under 250. He's just lighting up the strikeouts, but he's also walking people because he's coming back from the injury. And yeah, that's a developed major league pitcher, you know, obviously coming out, coming out, knocking off the rust. But think about a non-developed pitcher. You know, we'll look at Hunter Green, right? Has all the talent in the world. His pitches may not move or break like we'd like them to yet, but sometimes can't find the zone. And he gives up six, seven, eight runs. Like, you just can't afford to roster that when you're in a competitive season if you have other prospects that you're keen on. Um, so I agree. Taj Bradley, probably the safest guy that we've talked about yet. That will be up, I think, next year. Uh, we have Mr. Andrew Painter to talk about in a little bit here. So, you know, he's another exciting one, but I think he's a year away. Yeah, so let's move on now from number 21 to 25. I like this group a lot. 21, we have Kyle Harrison, left-handed pitcher for the Giants. Number 22, Robert Hassel, outfielder for the Nationals. 23, Zach Veen, outfielder for the Rockies. 24, Andrew Painter, pitcher for the Phillies. And then 25, Tristan Casas for the Red Sox. So you know I'm going to talk about Andrew Painter. He's my boy. Um, But pick another guy you want to talk about here. Yeah, it would have been uh, Robert Hassel, but I actually like his positioning in Washington much less than I did when he was with the Padres. I think that lineup is going to be a little uncertain for years to come. Uh, You're going to have a lot of rookies coming up you know, together, a lot of guys in the same classifications kind of struggling a little bit. Uh, So I'm interested to see how uh, Robert Hassel pans out there. I want to talk about Zach Veen, actually, because Zach Veen, if you look at him, he's kind of a freak in terms of uh, what he actually brings to the fantasy table. Drafted out of high school out of Florida. When I had him drafted to the Colorado Rockies, I jumped for joy because he was exactly the profile I look for in the Rockies outfielder. 
I thought this kid could be a 30-30 good contact 280 hitter. Haven't seen the power develop yet as well as the bat to ball skills. Last year he hit 301 in A ball. This year he split time between uh, A, high A, uh, and then double A. And like I said, the hit tool wasn't there this year. Hit 245, only had 12 home runs. The reason I bring him up as kind of a freak fantasy option is because he had 55 stolen bases this season, 36 last year. He's a tall kid at 6'3", 6'4". You're going to see the power develop eventually. You're going to see the hit tool develop eventually because he's in Colorado. It has to come. But if you think about this guy, he's going to dominate doubles, triples. He's going to steal bases, and eventually that power will come. I don't know that I've seen a guy outside of Corbin Carroll kind of fit the profile of just a fantasy categories freak. I think Vink could be your next guy. Yeah, we'll see for years to come. I'd like to see how he progresses um, through those minor leagues. Let's talk about Andrew Painter. He was drafted last year, 13th overall. I think he was kind of overshadowed by Jack Leiter and uh, I think it was Kumar Rocker who went uh, ahead of him. But those two overshadowed what this kid was. And I think a lot of it was because he came out of high school. And a lot of the times it takes those guys a while. But this year he just blew through the competition. And I was glued to him from the beginning because of his walk rate that he showed. In 103.2 innings, he only walked 25 guys. I just mentioned this earlier in the podcast. What I look for when I'm looking at these pitchers is do they have the command? Um, He has a great fastball, so he's got that good pitch. He could develop on his um, other pitches, but they're above average, I'll give him, but they're not elite, so we'll see. I kind of think of this guy as George Kirby Light, and we'll see. He's only 19 years old, so he's got a lot of developing to do, but he did make it to double-A this year um pitched five games did fairly well um let's see had two five four era which is pretty good but um that's pretty bad for him on his standards because when he was at low a he had a one four era and then a 0.98 when he went to high a so for andrew painter's standards not so good um but think, i'm very excited to see what happens with him and as he develops i think you're selling him short you're giving him a george kirby comp i'm gonna go out and give him a more controlled Glasnow comp. You look at the height, look at the fastball velocity, you know, mid 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 90s with the ability to touch 97, 98. I think that in itself, as he develops at 19 years old right now, he's going to add velocity. He's probably going to uh, as well as spin on the ball. And I like the fact that he's going to be able to throw a fastball curveball slider and change up all with 50 plus grades. You talk about a slider curveball combination. We haven't seen that in a while where an individual can utilize two put away pitches. Obviously, we like guys that throw the changeup, but that's 6-7 frame. I don't know that he's going to need it. I really do see a Glasnow approach. I haven't seen enough film of him to really kind of feel him out, but at 19 years old, I think we could see an absolute dominance from him next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if come come August, the Phillies are in it. Maybe they don't make a move at the deadline. They bring a 20-year-old Andrew Painter into the major league rotation. That That's pretty aggressive. I fully expect him to be... The hype come the spring training going into the 2024 season. I think he does most of this next year, 2023 season in Double A, maybe a mid um, promotion, mid summer promotion to Triple A, finish the year, and then I think depending on how that goes, maybe we see him, you know, be a late call up depending on where the Phillies are next year. But I fully think um, a spring training or maybe a 
April May call up in 2024 is more reasonable. And they were aggressive with him. 103 innings in his first full season of professional yeah, baseball. Yeah, it's 19. I. That's why. That's where my comment comes from. They're already being aggressive with him. And if you think about that team, Nola, right? We're coming into an odd year next year, so he's going to have so a four nine ERA. Wheeler has shown injuries and flashes of kind of some concern, right? And outside of those guys, we we really don't have Albert Pujols in six ninety nine. Richie with the breaking news, and we were watching the game, and we're we, busy doing this. <laughs> well, we can watch the highlights after. But that is exciting news. Uh, Late breaking, so I think he'll, I think he'll get to seven hundred now. He's got about two weeks left. Yeah, 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 I think he can get there, especially with that leg kick of his. But let's uh, let's move on because we've got some more to talk about. Um, we're gonna have to go a little bit faster here, Matt. We're uh, we'll blow through this. <laughs> all right, so let's uh, go twenty six through thirty. We got Bobby Miller, pitcher for the Dodgers. Ezekiel Tovar for the Rockies, just recently called up. Elijah Green, who I mentioned, second overall pick, outfielder for the Nationals. Termar Johnson, number four overall pick, second base for the Pirates. And then rounding out number 30 is Pete Crow Armstrong, outfielder for the Cubs. That was traded from the Mets. So, Matt, just give me one or two guys. We'll quickly touch on them, what you like, and we'll move on. Rapid fire. Bobby Miller, control issues, great velocity. Tovar got his first major league hit today in first at bat. Love the profile. Needs to develop the body, get stronger. Elijah Green, incredible power, raw, out of high school. We have to watch and see what happens. Watch him rise up the board, though, if there's some bats and balls still there. Uh, I think the one we're going to talk about is Tarmar Johnson. Love him. Love the kid. Love the position he's at. You know, I think he's going to be the exciting Pittsburgh Pirate uh, to join that team. O'Neill Cruz will be fully developed at that point. Uh, Tarmar uh, Termer Johnson is your guy. Do you have anything to add? Um, I just like his hit tool and just um, the fact that he got drafted this year and they already moved him from rookie to high or to a ball and he's hitting 275 out of the gate only has one home run he does have a 60 grade power so you'd like to see more but then again he has only been playing in 23 games uh, I'm pretty sure the minor leagues are done for him there so it'll be exciting to see I think he can definitely get to double a next year maybe AAA by 2024 and we see him 2025 is a more realistic time frame for him. But I definitely think um, come 2025, this is somebody we're talking about as a top 10 second baseman if he stays at that position. Let's move on. Do you have anything else to say? All right, let's move on to 31 through 35. We have outfielder George Valera, shortstop Brooks Lee, um, one of the top shortstops in this year's draft class. Ricky Tiedemann, left-handed pitcher for the Blue Jays. 34, James Wood, outfielder for the Nationals. And then rounding it out, 35, Shea Langliers, uh, catcher for the Oakland A's. Did make it to the majors this year. Um, Matt, I know James Wood is your guy, so we're talking about him. But anything else on these guys? I think Brooks Lee is going to be a really, really solid player. I think you're going to see 2010 potential for him. 20 home runs, 10 uh, stolen bases. He's hitting 303 currently in 31 games. Just college bat coming into the minor league level. Like it a lot. We'll watch his season next year. James Wood uh, loved what he was doing before he was traded over to the Washington organization this season with the Padres organization hitting 337, OPS over 1,000. Uh, in 50 games, he had 10 home runs, was really on pace for a solid season. After the trade, though, kind of fell off a little bit. Change of environment, possibly change in altitude as well with that minor league park. Uh, he was in low A. Hit 293, only two home runs in, in 21 games. The OPS did fall to 829. 
want to keep an eye on him. Really good uh, play discipline, a good ability to have bat-to-ball skills. I saw the next Jordan Alvarez. I would comp James Wood probably to him more. Um, we'll see. You know, it's, I'm concerned about this Washington organization and how they develop players. And also when those players get up, if there's uh, a positive surrounding around them with lineup protection. Yeah, the only one they were good at was Bryce Harper. Well, and Juan Soto. <laughs> and Juan Soto. Yeah, but I feel like those guys, uh, they, didn't, they didn't need any coaching. Correct. All right, let's move on now, Thirty-five or 36 through 40. We got Curtis Mead, third baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays. 37, Josh Young, third baseman for the Rangers, recently made his Major League debut. 38, we have Kevin Parada, new draft pick of this year for the New York Mets. Then we have Jackson Joby, uh, right-handed pitcher for the Tigers, uh, top pick last year's draft. And then we have number 40, your boy, Jason Dominguez, outfielder for the New York Yankees. Yeah, I think Meade and uh, Young are very similar players. I think they're going to be solid third basemen for a long time. I think Meade, obviously being 21, has a little bit of a step above Young because he has shown the ability to hit in the high levels of the minors. Uh, he's a guy that I think is still floating around on our dynasty waiver wire with our smaller rosters. Kevin Prada, great story from college. He's a stud. Uh, Jackson Joby, still too early to talk about. He's in high A. Uh, I think this kid has the potential to be great. Jason Dominguez showed us a little bit more flash of his ability this year. He, he did hit 273. He was in three uh, levels at the minor leagues. He touched A ball, high A, and double A. Kind of, I think, with Jackson Cheerio as well. Uh, brought him up to double A, probably to get a few more at-bats. He was batting 306 in high A. Flashed a little bit of power, six home runs in 40 games. Uh, did have the strikeout issues. Still is stealing bases. Like him a lot more from the right side. Uh, I think there's a lot more power from his right side approach than there is on his left side, kind of like Ozzy Elbies. But the determination will have to be made on Jason Dominguez next year if we keep him in the top 50 or if he's just going to be another 20-20 guy that hits 275 in the minor leagues. Yeah, and I'm a little shocked that he's not further up the rankings at number 40. But let's move on. 41-45, to 45, we have Colton Kowser, outfielder, uh, top pick for the Orioles last year. Miguel Vargas, third baseman for the Dodgers, actually made his major league debut a few weeks ago. 43, Michael Bush, second baseman for the Dodgers. 44, Max Meyer for the Miami Marlins pitcher. And then 45, Quinn Priester, right-handed pitcher for the Pirates. So, Matt, any guys that stick out to you here? Yeah, Bush and Vargas fall in the same classification of I'm concerned where they're going to play on that Dodgers team. Uh, do they re-sign Trey Turner, locking up yet another infield spot? Vargas obviously came up, you know, played a little third base. Uh, Bush has got great contact skills. He does remind me a lot of Ian Happ, who we talked about earlier, who, yes, in the minor leagues should hit for average, but ultimately sells out for power once he hits the major leagues. Meyer has the Tommy John, so look for him in possible drafts next year uh, in dynasty formats. If, if managers have decided to let him go, he could be a guy that you could snag at the end of the draft, either with a draft pick or with a little bit of uh, money if you're doing auction, and just IL him all season. Quinn Priester, though, came out, had another good season, 304 ERA, pitched 97 innings with 98 Ks. That's about one K, uh, 9 Ks per nine. Like that a lot. Um, unfortunately, he is with the Pirates. But I do think I like what I'm seeing built in Pittsburgh come 2024. I would definitely agree. Let's uh, finish out this portion of the prospect overview with 46 through 50, and then we'll move into the leaders from this season. So 46, we have Jack Leiter. Um, I think he was the first pitcher taken in the 2021 draft, right-handed pitcher for the Rangers. Then we have Sal Frelick, 
uh, outfielder for the Brewers, Tyler Soderstrom, first base slash catcher for the Oakland A's, 49, we have Brennan Davis, outfielder for the Cubs, and then 50, Jacob Berry, third baseman for the Miami Marlins, who was drafted this year. And before we get into this, Matt, we'll finish up who we want to talk about, and then we'll just touch on one or two guys that we each like in the 51 through 100 and what we hope to see and who we could see possibly rise into that top 50, maybe top 25 um, come this time next year. Um, so out of the 46 through 50, what do you like out of this group? Well, I think Tyler Solderstrom is going to be a guy that ultimately moves to first base. He's shown the power this season. He ended up having uh, 29 home runs in 128 games. You know, shows that immense power. He's had multiple multi-home run games. Last year he had 12 home runs in 57 games. I think ultimately with Shane Langlier's there, uh, you're going to see that move off first. He's, in my opinion, probably the next Tristan Casas in the minor league level at first base. You know, kind of elevates to possibly my number one first baseman of the 2023 season for prospects. Young kid at 20, so he's still got some seasoning to do. Um, and then just disappointment in Jack Leiter so far. You traded him in our dynasty league this year. It looks like it was a good move. I was concerned because of his height, because of the college pedigree. Um, just didn't necessarily have the velocity I was looking for. Ended the season 92 innings with a 5-5-4 ERA and double-A. Yikes. Yeah, I definitely agree. We'll see. I think Jack Leiter still has the potential and will rebound. Um, but I got nothing further on those guys. I will touch on some guys that I like, mostly pitchers, because that's what I my, most of my – prospect philosophy is on so there's three guys in the 51 to 100 range that i'm going to talk about at number 54 we have gavin williams he's a right-handed pitcher for the cleveland guardians he had a fantastic season um he went from high a to double a this year through both of them through a 196 era 115 innings like i said again i look for control 40 walks in that 115 innings but he had 149 strikeouts love to see that um, this is a guy who got a 70-grade fastball, routinely hits 95, even touches 100. So I like that. He was a, a first-round draft pick in the 2021 draft um, at 23. Um, I think it gets a lot of these pitchers afterwards get overshadowed with that lighter and Kumar Rocker, which I mentioned earlier. But definitely somebody I like there. And then moving along, I like, trying to find him now, is uh, Gavin Stone, 78. Right-handed pitcher for the Dodgers. He's at AAA right now. Um, another guy who had great control. This year, he moved through three levels, 115 innings, only 44 walks, but 157 strikeouts. Love to see that. He uh, doesn't have the pedigree. He was drafted fifth round in 2020, um, but he's got above average uh, change-up fastball, and he's got great control, even though MLB only gives him a 50 grade. I could see that definitely rising. And then lastly for me, a guy that I like is at number 90, Brock Porter. He was the, the highest rated pitcher coming out of the draft. Um, he fell um, significantly to the fourth round. A lot of that was over concern that he was going to go play college ball and he was going to commit and that nobody was going to be able to get him to come off of that commitment. Um, he, this is a guy who got a 70-grade fastball. He was supposed to go in the top five. Um, he goes to the Rangers. He's not even an ESPN player pool right now. Um, but I think depending on the size of your dynasty league, um, somebody not worth picking up right now, kind of like Jackson Joby. I think it's a while that we, before we see him. Um, but I think any of these guys 
can easily get within the top 50 depending on their poor performances coming next year. Um, the one, Gavin Stone, I could see him even reaching the majors next year depending on what the Dodgers do with that uh, rotation of theirs. Um, they've got significant depth, so I highly doubt it. But that's kind of my two cents on uh, guys from 51 to 100. Matt, are there any guys that you want to point out here for our listeners? I think Jackson Merrill is probably the only one. Uh, since you touched on the pitchers, Jackson Merrill probably has the highest upside of any of the guys in this range. He comes in at 85 on MLB.com's top 100. That is what we are using tonight for this um, kind of scenario for you guys. Big thing with Jackson Merrill, just overall hitter. Kind of what Richie and I talked about to begin the show today. A little bit of power, good bat-to-ball contact skills. Jackson hit 325 in A-ball this year. Did start the year in rookie ball after 10 games was moved up. Uh, played in, in 45 games at A-ball, had five home runs, 42 Ks in 45 games. So, again, we want to watch the strikeouts kind of come down a little bit, but that average is really nice. OPS at 869. Uh, Jackson Merrill was a draft pick in the 2021 season. Uh, first round, 27th overall. And I just wanted to touch on Stone for a moment. If you think back to that 2020 season, there was an, almost an entire college season lost. They did start. They stopped. I think a lot of the development from some of these pitchers, especially at smaller schools where Stone came from, kind of were limited. You know, Stone came out in the fifth round. There were guys that were not drafted that are actually moving up boards as well. Uh, and I think possibly what that shows is that these guys didn't get to come out and show a good showing in their final season, and they fell. You get Stone in that fifth round selection. I really do believe that's kind of the issue at hand. Uh, already in Triple A, so you know you picked up Stone. You have Stone. I like him a lot. Dodgers pitchers concern me, but definitely a guy that I think has risen up boards this season. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes uh, our quick review of the top 100 prospects from the MLB. Um, list. So let's move on to league leaders from the season because a lot of these guys aren't even on the top 100 prospect list, which to me is a little surprising. I, I think some of them like Jared Kelnick might not even qualify anymore because he's now in AAA. Um, so Matt, there is a, a quite a hefty list here. So um, why don't you take it away and talk about um, who you like the most? Yeah, um, I'll just hit on all these guys, read over their stat line. Justin Durden, outfielder, for the Houston organization was in AAA to end the year. Oh, over 124 games, 40 doubles, 24 home runs, had 101 RBIs, 302 average, 942 OPS. This sounds like a guy that absolutely torched the minor leagues this season. Again, isn't on Major League Baseball's top 100. I expect for him to possibly fight for a platoon spot come next year. Uh, but Justin Durbin is a guy that really encouraged me because his 40 doubles, 24 home runs, just shows in-game power. Moving along on kind of that same concept of power, Mark Vientos, third base for the Mets. We actually just saw him live on Tuesday. We were at the game. Looked like a giant bag of shit. Um, 101 <laughs> games, 24 home runs, uh, 877 OPS, batted two in the 280 range. And last time I checked on Vientos this year, he was not having a great season, so he must have caught fire, ultimately prompting that promotion. We liked Vientos coming into the year. I've kind of soured on him after watching him. He just looks overpowered at the major league level. Um, then Jason Martin for the Dodgers. This is a 26-year-old, 31 home runs in 123 games, 283 average, 105 RBIs. But where does he play? You know, same thing with Michael Bush. Um, we have Jared Kelnick on this list. I'm not going to read off his numbers. He did come back at AAA and have a very nice season, but 
he's back in the majors and his major league stat line is not good either. So maybe Jared Kelnick's just a guy that can hit minor leaguers and will never be anything more than a platoon guy. Uh, Shane Langliers had a really nice season in Vegas, 19 home runs, showed some major league power. Uh, now I will kind of uh, cement this. Vegas does have higher elevation, much like Colorado, Arizona. Um, in the ballpark there does not have a roof. So I think he probably benefited a little bit from being in higher elevation. And the last one I'll mention before you chime in, Richie, um, I'm going to butcher this name, but you get Igai uh, Rosario. This is a third base prospect for the Padres AAA this season, 118 games, 21 home runs, 289 average, 882 OPS, showed some power. Seems like that Padres organization just continues to develop these middle infielders, these infielders in general that kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, I like what you said. Um, I do have some late-breaking news yet again. Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols has hit his 700 home run. I think we need to watch this while we sit here and talk about the next guy. While you pull that that up, I will say this. um, Regardless of what you think of Shea Langlier's in Vegas, I do like his profile, uh, especially at a catcher position. I do think he will produce. Um, it's hard to get those guys these days that can hit for average um, as a catcher. Um, I do believe in Mark Vientos. I think he's at that stage where you know he was hot, and then pitchers have figured him out, and he has to adjust to the pitcher. So I think that's where he's at right now. Um, and that's all I really have. And right, now we'll I'm stalling. It, we'll, while... we'll, we'll play it live. Okay, let's let's We're gonna, just bear with us. And that we're thirty, we have a little bit of. We'll turn the volume off. I got, I got that guy. We're we're gonna rock this. I do like it on Apple TV. It's pretty sick. We're inside. That's sick. And I was in L.A. Oh, he's so happy. That wasn't even a gimme. I mean, that was the inside corner. Yeah, it was down. Ball. And there's a Dodgers fan that recovered it. Oh, yeah. They're going to ask a million dollars. He's not done. I mean, I think he'll, I think he'll get at least two or three more. Oh, yeah, two or three more. Unless he gets rid of his leg kick now. Well, that's a very special moment. I mean, he hit, hit, so he hit 699 tonight, and he hit... He hit both uh, of them tonight, 699 and 700. I mean, we have on now the 699. Barry Bonds, Henry Aaron, and Babe Ruth, pulls two swings away from joining them. Oh, he smashed it. Oh, that was a gift, man. He crushed that ball. That's not a cheapie in Dodger no. Stadium. 20 home runs in this, this season. What an incredible season. Well, that's very that's exciting. All right, now that we're uh, completely derailed from the um, podcast, uh, you were going to talk about Brett Batty was the next. Um, yeah, I guess we're just going to skip over that. That's good. Uh, Brett Batty <laughs> obviously came up, had the injury. Um, good season. Minor leagues this year, double-A numbers I have, 89 games, 19 home runs, 312 average. Kind of fits that Corbin Carroll, Michael Harris bag that we have, an infielder, third base especially, uh, possibly second base next year. That's just going to hit the ball well, uh, give you that natural power. I expect a 280 average next year. Definitely a guy in the later rounds that you could take in a redraft league 
where I think he could give you top 10 production. We'll see how fast uh, Brett Batty climbs next year. Next up, we have George Valera. And I'm just going to kind of throw this out there. I do not like George Flair. I do not buy the hype. I do not think his prospect ranking is where it deserves. I do not think he's going to be a very good major league player. Uh, George Valera, 90 games in AA, 15 home runs, 837 OPS. AAA this year, 36 games, hit 224 with eight home runs. Uh, doesn't necessarily have the size to be a big power hitter. Doesn't necessarily have the bat speed to be a big power hitter. Now, obviously, a lot of scouts and a lot of um, prospect ranking systems disagree with me. George Valera is our guy we're speaking about. Uh, Blake Sable, next guy, going to be an outfielder for the Pirates, double-A, triple-A numbers, uh, both of which he played very well in this year. 98 games in double-A, 14 home runs, 281 average, 833 OPS, played well. But moving up to triple-A, had 19 games, 5 home runs, 303 average, overall 1,000 OPS, overall just dominated at both levels. Uh, I'm big on Sable. I think, obviously, he should be in the top 100. But again, Pirates prospects don't get as much love, especially if they don't have a pedigree. Next is Volpe. We covered him earlier. Yikes. Um, Orlevis Martinez for the Blue Jays. This is a shortstop. He is very, very young, has a lot of power, and strikes out a ton. He only hit 203 this season with 30 home runs, 140 strikeouts in 118 games. Richie, what do you think about these guys? Yeah, I don't think I necessarily... Um, agree with you on Valera. I think he will be good. Um, I think he just needs to adjust to that AAA level. I don't. I don't think he's going to be a huge power guy. Um, even though he, he does have the power numbers, this I just don't believe in that. Um, I do think he can hit for average. Um, or, or I'm going to butcher this. Or Levis Martinez. Um, this was a guy coming into the season I liked a lot, um, mostly because he played third base. Um, and he had that power potential, which you don't really see. There's not many third base prospects. We alluded to it earlier with Jordan Walker. Now he's primarily playing shortstop. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, like you said, 30 home runs, but he's only batting 203. Um, I was kind of optimistic that he'd hit 260 to 280 with 30 home runs this year. So he delivered on one front. Um, but it's the next guy you're going to talk about on this list that I actually am really excited about. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Yeah, and that's Ronnie um, Mauricio. How do you say it? Mauricio. Mauricio, thank you. Ronnie Mauricio, that's a shortstop for the uh, New York Mets. Double-A numbers this year. This is a 21-year-old kid. Very, very, very talented. 26 home runs. Did only hit uh, 290, excuse me, 259 with a 724 OPS, 125 strikeouts in 123 games. But it's the power that I like from this individual. It's the projectability from this individual. I think you could see a kid in his prime possibly hit you 30, 35 home runs and possibly hit you 280 to 300. Um, really be a strong player for the Mets. Now, obviously, with um, with Lindor in that lineup, he will have to move off shortstop. Obviously, you have Batty to contend with as well. But the bat plays, and I think this individual will absolutely play. Moving on, we actually have someone coming out of absolutely nowhere. Um, that's Andres Chaparro. I think I'm butchering that as well. My apologies. That's a third baseman for the New York Yankees. Started in rookie this year, moved up to A ball, then moved up to double A. He is 23 years old. Double A numbers this season I have for you 64 games, 289 average, 963 OPS, 19 home runs. Again, 23 years old, so him playing in rookie ball this year was kind of a disadvantage for the players around him, but 
going up to double A, I think really shows his ability and his level. I could watch him throughout the offseason kind of move into top 100s. Next one we have for you is the number one overall prospect in baseball. That's Francisco Alvarez, also in the New York area, but he plays for the Mets. Double A and triple A numbers listed for you today. Uh, in double A, 67 games, 18 home runs, 277 average, 921 OPS, 71 strikeouts. Triple A, 40 games, 9 home runs, 225 average, 818 OPS with 48 strikeouts. I'm going to pause here, Richie. Um, I see Gary Sanchez and Francisco Alvarez, and I don't think I would have said that earlier in the year, but after the promotion to triple A, I see the power. I see what everyone loves, but I don't see anything more than Gary Sanchez. It's tough, you know, because they, they got to develop. They got to adjust. We talk about it all the time. Um, it's the strikeouts that I don't like. Um, and I can see where you're coming from with that Gary Sanchez comp. He needs to cut down on those, and until he does... I think I'm going to agree with you on this. Um, it's a high leg kick, too. I mean, I can't imagine with that leg kick that they both have that you're going to hit the ball on a regular basis. And, I mean, it's immense power. But so is Gary. I mean, Gary was immense power. And we saw it his rookie year when he came up. Pitchers didn't know how to pitch him, and he torched them. And after that, we had average issues. Yeah, we'll see. Um I do like the next catcher on the list, though. What do you think of uh, of Ronnie out there, New York, uh, New York Mets shortstop? You do you would you agree it's the power production and overall pro, uh, like projectability for him that excites you? You know, this is a type of guy that I usually don't like because I tell you all the time that I don't like guys that don't hit for average and just for power. But I don't know what it is with this guy. I just got like that feeling of. Yeah, he's got 125 strikeouts in 123 games, but he also hit 26 home runs. He was able to get to 259 average. I mean, we're not going to see him for a while, I don't think, for at least two or three years, um, if we're lucky. Um, so definitely somebody on a deeper dynasty radar. He might even be rostered already. Um, but definitely somebody to keep an eye on, see how he develops. Um I just worry about with those that average and those strikeouts once he moves to AAA, and especially once he reaches the majors, what happens there. So um, definitely high floor, low ceiling, or reverse that. Low floor, high, high ceiling. High ceiling, low floor, yeah. yes. Um, that's kind of my take. Um, but usually guys like De La Cruz, O'Neill Cruz, I usually don't. I'm not tempted by those guys. This guy I'm a little tempted by, and I don't know if it's just because of the average, which doesn't make sense because Ellie De La Cruz is hitting for immense power and average. Yeah, yeah. so that's uh, that's Ronnie again. Ronnie um, Mauricio for the Mets, shortstop, 21 years old. You just alluded to this a little bit earlier, Logan Ohapi. This was a trade that was made this season. Uh, it involved Thor, who is obviously no Syndergaard for those of you that are big baseball fans. Um, Logan Ohapi. Pre-trade this season, had 75 games, 15 home runs. Just been 275 with an 888 OPS. Good good player. You know, like, understand why he was a trade chip. Probably finish out the season around 20 home runs, you know, hitting the same average. But then the trade happens. Post-trade, 29 games, 11 home runs, 306 average, a 1146 OPS. He just decided to turn to Barry Bonds here and judge. Um, I think a lot of it has to do, if you think about what I talked about with um, 
with Wood, Ogunohapi ended up going into a, a more hitters-friendly environment on the West Coast. The West Coast AA and AAA has much, much better ballparks, higher level, um, higher uh, what am I looking elevation. for? Elevation. Thank you. And I think it allows the hitters to really take advantage of that at times. But I think what we're looking at is maybe the next JT Real Muto. And it's ironic since the Phillies traded him. Yeah, the Angels desperately need any guys that can help. They literally have Otani and Trout, and that's it. They're relying on Taylor Ward. He's been great in spurts, but then he dealt with that shoulder injury once he hit the wall. Um, and it hasn't looked like himself since that they desperately need guys and they need them now. I think Ohapi can show up next year um, at the rate he's going. Um, this might be a guy that gets that spring training hype that we see um, depending on what happens. Maybe, I'm not sure if he made the Arizona Fall League, but if he's in there, definitely a na- name I'd be watching to see what he does. Well, and we're talking about going from a deprived position, much like tight end in football in fantasy regards, to a position now with MJ Melendez being promoted. You obviously have Alvarez on his mm-hmm. way. You have Ohapi, who has now entered the equation. Uh, you have Contreras for Atlanta, who has come onto the scene. And you have a number of other players, including Ali Rutschman, that I haven't even mentioned. I think we're going to have 12 guys, 13 guys over the next couple of years that we're comfortable drafting. And then you're going to have some guys come up like Ohapi, who, you know what, that's all the better. You know, if we look mm-hmm. at as it stands right now, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with the catcher position. Next on our list is Ezekiel Tovar. Well, we did mention he had his first major league hit today. His minor league numbers, 14 home runs, 17 stolen bases, 319 average, double A, triple A. Good player, projectable. Give him some time. I think he's a guy in a few years that could be a very good baseball player, but he's going to have some ups and downs. Colton Cower for the Orioles is our next guy. He is also on the top 100, double A, triple A numbers. 22-year-old kid was a first-rounder, fifth overall in the 2021 season. So this is a guy that we're going to have to keep an eye on and see how he projects out. Double-A domination, 49 games, 10 home runs, 341 average with over 1,000 OPS. Moved him to triple-A, 20 games, three home runs, only batted 205, so it looks like there was a learning curve there. Going to need to have to shape it out. I do expect him to probably start the year at triple-A next year, get a full season of triple-A under him. We could see him late in the season like we saw Gunnar Henderson Next guy on our list is Andy Rodriguez. We spoke about him earlier. I did list off his numbers. Just an immense climber. Uh, The fact that he's still stuck down near that 100 range is pretty frustrating to me. 88 games, 16 home runs, 936 OPS in single A. Double A, as I talked about earlier, 31 games, 8 home runs. Love, love, love this kid. Um, Addison uh, Barger, shortstop for the Blue Jays, kind of busted onto the scene as well this year. 23 home runs, 306 average, 916 OPS. Going to have to find a spot, possibly a utility player for the Blue Jays. Um, and then Wenseal Perez, shortstop Detroit, 22 years old, 12 home runs, 18 stolen bases, 295 average, 903 OPS. Uh, another shortstop, add to the mix, Barger, Perez. I would expect these guys to be more utility, but had good seasons and seasons that you may want to monitor. Now this next guy on the list, Richie, is someone that actually surprised me quite a bit. It's going to be the Cubs center field prospect. I have AAA numbers here. That's where he finished the season this year. 34 home runs, 91 RBIs, 21 stolen bases, 895 OPS. This is Alexander Kahiro. Uh, Kanhiro. Again, these names, I apologize. Alexander Kanhiro. Um, kind of busting onto the scene. 
Most of his production, if I remember correctly, was done at double-A. I do not have those notes in front of me, but 34 home runs on the year. Guy, again, keep an eye on, see how he develops throughout the, the system. But, Richie, do any of these guys catch your eye, anyone you want to talk about? Yeah, I just pulled up uh, Alexander Canario, butchered it too. But, yeah, you, you were right. Most of it came at double-A. He hit 24 of his 35 home runs there. Um, I don't like how his average dipped as long as, as he went along. Single A, he went from 281 to double A, 248, and then finished the year at triple A at 224. He's going the wrong direction for me, um, which shows he's probably staying at the same level, but he's good enough to get it done as they progress him. Um, he doesn't have terrible strikeouts, um, but does just something to monitor. Um, yeah, Andy Rodriguez I like, um, but we'll see. They got Henry Davis. Um, and even though we play fantasy, Major League does not. They might like Henry Davis more just from the simple defense framing, all those metrics that go into catching, um, being able to work with pitchers, body language, um, being able to talk to their players. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But that's all I have on this group. Yeah, and I think Rodriguez, you could see an MJ Melendez approach with him where you know, you're going to play in the outfield. They've already labeled him as an outfielder. I'd have to look at his baseball reference to see how many games he played there. But I, I definitely think play, teams at this point are finding spots and developing guys that they can identify the positional blockage. We talked about that with Jordan Walker, you know, being moved to the outfield because you already have Nolan Arnato there in St. Louis at third base. This next group, though, I have a guy that kind of popped off the page for me. He is a 24-year-old. Uh, we talked a little bit about Melendez down there in Arizona. It's coming out of Texas, being drafted this year in the second round. Guy, I like the power a lot, but this is the production that I want to see. This is Matt Maris, first baseman, Chicago Cubs, 24 years old. We have A-ball this season, double-A, as well as triple-A. He advanced very quickly, especially at that age. You expect progression. Uh, 35 home runs on the season, 115 RBIs, but a 309 average. 309 average for a guy that hit 35 home runs is something that really excites me. And a 990 OPS. He did all of this in 131 games. I think the Chicago Cubs may have their first baseman for 2023. And I think if you're in deep leagues, 14-man leagues, this might be a guy at the end of the draft that you might want to target if we have preseason hype. Again, we have to wait for spring training. But that's Matt Maris out of Chicago. Uh, Jerry uh, Encarnacion for the Cubs as well, outfielder, 22 home runs, 294 average. Just seems like Chicago is pumping out some of these guys in AA, AAA with absolutely ridiculous numbers. Next on our list is uh, Eloy De La Cruz. We talked about him earlier. At length, I won't get into him. Um, next one, Kyle Manzardo. First base, Rays. Another first baseman that I like a lot. I think we're going to start having the next crop of first basemen come up. Hopefully, Torkelson can turn it around a little bit. Um, but Kyle, two, 22 home runs, 324. Over 1,000 OPS for the Rays. Obviously, they like to play the matchups. They like to use the saber metrics. That's the only thing I don't like about him being in the Rays organization. We're going to follow that up yet with another first baseman, Arizona, 24 years old. Maybe Melendez gets blocked. We have Leonardo Cedeno, 31 home runs, 304 average, 914 OPS, again, 24 years old. So, you know, age might be beating up on lower competition, but we have a lot of first basemen just in this group that I've spoken about, and yet we have yet another one. Um, Blaine Grimm, first baseman, Texas. Again, kind of in this age classification, 25 years old. Uh, Blaine uh, Grimm was 24 home runs with a 297 average on the season. 
So, Richie, I've talked about a lot of first basemen here. Uh, who excites you and what, what kind of hype are you buying and maybe what are you not buying? I do like this Matt Mervis guy just from his numbers alone. I will admit that he hasn't really been on my radar, but he's got decent comps. I tried looking up when he was drafted, but he only has stats for 2021 and 2022, but it says he was drafted in 2016. Um, but that seems wrong because I know he played college um, for Duke, so maybe you can look that up while I talk about these other guys here. Um, but I do like um, Kyle Manzardo. Uh, for the Rays, he's been absolutely on fire. I talk about having that hit tool. He gets a 60 grade from MLB. He was a second-round draft pick for the Rays. Um, I just like what he's been doing. He, you know, he went from high A to double A. Um, batted well over 300 at both levels. Um, he walked just as much as he struck out at high A. He had 45 walks to 46 strikeouts, and then when he moved up. Um, he had 14 walks to 19 strikeouts, so I love to see that. Um, but he kept that OPS up, and he hit 22 home runs, so that is definitely somebody I like to see. When you filter just by uh, top prospects um, by position, by MLB, behind Tristan Casas and Soderstrom, who's technically a catcher, the next highest rated is Kyle Manzardo. Um, so definitely something I like to see there. Um other than that, for first baseman, I like Ivan Melendez. We've talked about him in the past. Um, but, yeah, what do you got, Matt, for the so, draft on Mervis? I think, I think Mervis was actually one of the guys that I spoke about in the 2020 draft that probably was not taken. Because the last information we have on him was a 2016 draft pick from Washington, which would you have to imagine he did not sign since he played at Duke. So uh, I'm not finding anything. You know, Maybe we can touch on this a little bit in the next podcast, but – I think he's one of those guys that says here, undrafted, signed by the Cubs. You know, there were five rounds in the 2020 draft. And if you didn't make it within those five rounds, whether because of question marks or because of signability, you know, you had to find clubs to take a risk on you. And I think Mervis might be an absolute steal. His numbers, I buy him. You know, if you look at what Jared Walsh did a few years ago in the minor leagues, we had some concerns with his swing and miss. Um, that, was, that, was a, that was a really big piece. And we see it now at the major league level after a year and a half. Mervis, though, with that ability to have a 300 average, have that OPS as high as he does in the 990 region, 35 home runs. Um, this is probably my favorite guy on the list. Now, I have one more name for you, Richie, um, and actually the opposite direction here as to as far as excitement. I have Moises Gomez, outfielder DH for St. Louis. We've talked about Gomez a little bit earlier in the season when he was on absolute fire. End of the year with nice numbers, not as good numbers as we would have liked as the season went on. 37 total home runs, a 298 average, finished with a 1005 OPS in 114 games, but it is the 164 strikeouts that really scares me away. Uh, stayed at AA, if I am correct, was not promoted to, he was promoted to AAA, and my apologies, played in 56 games. Um, average did dip, though, 267, didn't crack the 900 OPS range, so he really, really beat up on those players in AA. Once the promotion happened, it looks like he slowed down quite a bit. That is what affected his overall numbers. Uh, what is your thought on Gomez? Yeah, I like his power a lot. How can you not? It's that, like you said, the strikeouts, another guy. Um, and we talk about the hit tool, right? Um, his average is great, right, for this year. But you look at the previous years, 2021, a 171 average. 2019, a 220 average. Um 
I just don't like that. He gets a 40-grade hit tool. Um, maybe he found something. Maybe something happened. I'm not really sure. Um, he gets a 60-grade power, which is great. Um, he's a big, beefy boy. Um, well, that's that's an issue I have. Like, I understand they may not change these grades midseason. You're not telling me this guy's going to hit 37 home runs and absolutely dominate double A, and you're not going to bump that up to a 70. I understand the hit tool is not there, and that's what accounts for the bad average in triple A. It's also what accounts for the, the strikeouts. But when you talk about pure power, the guy's got it. I've watched him all season on MLB, MLB Pipeline's Instagram account mash baseballs. If you're going to go out and give Vlad Guerrero Jr. an 80-grade power, how do you not have this guy at a 70? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll have to do some more digging on him, like why the scouts, even on Baseball America, I think he doesn't get that great of, of ratings either. So um, I'll have to look more into it. But you can't deny the numbers there. Maybe there's something we're missing. Maybe he just dealt with trash pitchers. But um, outside of those, um, I think um, Menzardo is the, the one I like the most just for the simple supply and demand aspect of there's not many first-base prospects out there anymore. Um, but these other ones, Sedano and Krim, I'll have to keep an eye on more. Um, definitely somebody who weren't really on my radar um, to begin the season. So, um, hey, we can't know all these guys, so it's good to know. Um, and then Ivan Melendez, um, I briefly mentioned earlier. He's not even in ESPN player pools. Um, there's been a, a few of these guys' names where, Regardless of the dynasty format you're in, they're not available unless your league has some sort of Excel spreadsheet that they use. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with first baseman. What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, and I mean, Melendez hasn't really come out of the gate swinging hot. He started in rookie ball. Looks like they had him four games in rookie ball, moved him up to class A, 25 games, three home runs, 20 strikeouts, 207. Melendez is a guy we loved out of the draft, but I mean, from first base perspective, they do take a little bit longer to develop because they're bigger guys. They come in with an approach that may not be suited for the minor league and pro ball. And, and sometimes you can stumble across a guy like Mertz. Um, but I do really like the fact that we have some contact ability out of uh, Minzardo. Like that that 324 average on top of that power, you're talking about a guy that's just going to be a hitter. And again, as we mentioned, when it comes to playoff time, you know, the last thing you want to do is just simply rely on home runs. But that is that is all we have for the the um, minor league hitters today. I, I will say with Manzardo, the one thing that does worry me is he is in the system of the Rays. The Rays develop great pitchers, but we've seen what happens with their hitters. Mm -hmm. They come up, they can be great, but they will split time, they'll platoon, and they have um, oh, blanking on his name. Who's the first baseman they use right now? Jimmy and Choi at, at times. No, the other guy. Um, high average. Um, Let's take a look here. Anyways, um, Yandy Diaz. That's okay. what I'm thinking of. Um, like They have all these guys that will platoon. So if Manzardo comes up, I fully see him being in a platoon role, which won't really be beneficial unless you play in some sort of roto league. Um they, I mean, they've used Isaac Paredes over there at first, and you know he gets hot at times. Paredes has played second. Paredes has played third. Paredes probably coaches the team at times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the Rays scared the hell out of me. We talked about that with Todd Bradley a little bit. The organization just is run so differently than so many other organizations right now. It's such a higher statistical use. Um, but I, I like what I've seen so far. And honestly, you know, like if we're seeing the 2020 season have any effect at all, I, I think it's the simple fact that. 
some of these 23, 24, 25-year-old guys, they're not up yet. They probably would have been up had they not lost a season. Lost season is leading to some of these guys break out a little bit later in their career and their career age range. But a lot of really exciting players to look at coming into next year in the minor league season that will be the 2023 season. I definitely agree there will be some diamond in the roughs that will uh, surface throughout the season. Now, we have been going quite a, a long time touching on these prospects, and I know we wanted to get to um, some of the pitchers that came up this year and what their future projections are and some of these rookies and where we see them next year and in the, the next three to five years. Uh, I think we'll save that for a future podcast, maybe in the offseason, because our outlook on these guys aren't going to change from now to a week or two weeks from now, unless barring injury. So we'll save that for an off-season podcast for you guys. Um, but that'll wrap up our show for tonight. Um, thank you guys for listening. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and um, subscribe to us anywhere where you find podcasts.